I'm David W. Berner, and this is The Writer Shed. We're recording this episode today on an afternoon that uh, I think the Irish call a fine, soft day. Uh, just a, a light drizzle here or there. You can... Uh, you get some moments of no rain, but then you get uh, some birds chirping and the flowers are coming up for spring. So, yes, a fine, soft day, I would say. And we're glad to be here today because it's a, a, this kind of day because this is a day for reading. You know, this is the kind of day you you sit in a, a nice chair by the window and uh, and you, you just read your brains out, right? Well, that's why we have Jeremy Anderberg with us on this episode. Jeremy Anderberg likes to read. He likes to read a lot. And he likes to share his newsletter, What to Read Next, comes out every Friday morning to thousands of readers. Jeremy reads fiction and nonfiction, new and old, the big hits and the uh, virtually ignored, as he says. He also runs a large group book club called The Big Read. He picks some classics for this book club, including Tolstoy's War and Peace, they're going to be reading in that book club. They're doing that for the entire year, as you might expect. Maybe reading War and Peace takes an entire year for some of us. We wanted to uh, reach out to Jeremy to talk about the newsletter approach, becoming so popular with what people are doing these days, and what he's finding recently in the book world. Who is reading what and why? So, Jeremy, thanks so much for being here. appreciate that. I was mentioning to you just before we got started here how it's appropriate. We do these interviews on Zoom, Zoom of course, and you, know, we, you get your library behind you, which is fitting for the kind of site you have, <laughs> right? Yes, yes. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, these uh, IKEA bookshelves are just a couple years old, and I'm constantly, uh, as a reviewer, a book reviewer, I get tons of books from publishers. So I'm constantly reorganizing, trying to make room for all the various piles. If you could see elsewhere, you would also see various piles in the closet, on the floor, et cetera. So it's kind of a an illusion of being organized. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, no good mind is really organized, right? I mean, that's what they say. Yeah, yeah. It's a little chaotic up there. Um, so yeah. your your site, I mean, I'm fascinated with the idea of of the the world of books, the world of literature, not only the writing, but the whole uh, you know culture of books moving online. Um, yeah. And your site is part of that. I mean, clearly part of that. So what what prompted you to do that? What got you to move that sort of work to Substack to an online presence? Sure, yeah, it's a good question. So. I've been uh, reviewing books and writing about books for a very long time. Uh, started with reviewing for Kirkus, um, just kind of known as one of the big three review outlets. So you have Kirkus, Publishers Weekly, uh, and Library Journal are kind of three big industry review publications, right. along with you know the Times, Washington Post, the Atlantic, that sort of thing. You have these big legacy publications. Um, so I, I did some reviewing and writing for a few of those publications uh, over the, the past, you know, decade or so. Uh, and then ultimately it was just uh, kind of randomly having coffee with uh, an author friend, actually, who was just asking me what I was reading. And I just, you know, was kind of telling her the, the very books I was reading at the time. And she said, you know, you should start uh, an email list or an email newsletter and just tell people what you're reading because, if I'm interested in that sort of thing, then other people are too. Sure. In kind of a, a less a less formal way. 
than, you know, a, a standard review uh, for a, a journalistic outlet. Mm-hmm. So I started on uh, Substack pretty early on, actually. Uh, I'm not usually an early adopter, but I, I got onto Substack early uh, and then it kind of blew up. And uh, the the whole idea for me is to write about books for the average reader. You know, there, there's so many, um, you know, you read the, the New York Times books section and it's very much kind of high literature. It's like, it's almost like, like reviews for critics rather than yeah. reviews for I, I, I agree the, with you. the average reader. Yeah. So that's yeah, kind of yeah. the, the point of me doing it in more of a, a newsletter, just trying to meet, you know, what does the average reader want to read and what do they want to know about books? And that's what I think is the, the beauty of Substack is that there are so many just, you know, normal readers, the people who are actually reading and, and buying books, um, they're all kind of able to do that with Substack and the, the various other platforms. What do you find, you know, it prompts the question, what do you find is what the reader, the average reader is reading? What do they want? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I actually just try to focus on, well, I, less on like, what do my readers want and more on what's interesting to me because I, I find myself fitting into that average reader mold, right? I read uh, a lot, but I read very widely. So, you know, behind me, you'll have, I have uh, history books over here. I have um, fiction, fantasy over here. There's a copy of Lord of the Rings over here on the bookshelf. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I kind of, I read all over the board. And so I, I think just because of that, my varied interests, I'm able to appeal to any number of, of readers. Right. Um, I have actually found that, that when I try to think too much about what people want, I end up um, not necessarily alienating some folks, but just kind of getting out of my own interests. And since uh, since this this newsletter that I have is, is born out of my own reading habits and, and born out of what I like to read uh, that I've found that, that it's most successful when I focus on kind of my own interests. And and then whoever is is along for the ride will either continue on or they'll hop off if they want something different. And that's fine too. So, you know, that, that goes for the writer too, you know, on my side of the world, yeah. you know, it's like, you've got to write what you, the book you want to read, you know, yeah. because if you try to meet the market or something like that, you know, you're kind of selling your soul in a way, I, at least that's my feeling about it. Um, and yeah. are you, you know, it's interesting because writing to the market or finding out what the reader wants to read. I had an agent one time who said to me, oh, you're getting the best rejections ever, <laughs> <laughs> which basically meant they yeah. like it, but it does, it's not sellable or I can't figure out a place right. to put it or whatever. So generally right. that's what it was. But I, but what I learned from that is that she was joking with me, but there was something to it. She said, if you could just throw a couple of vampires in there, it'll be all right. You know, just joking yeah. with me. And it had nothing to do with vampires or the occult or anything like that. Yeah. But, yeah. but it was the, at the time that was the thing. And, um, you know, I'm, I find that readers kind of gravitate that way too. There's a time for this and there's a time for that. And I was speaking with a bookseller yeah. the other day who said, because of the way the world is right now, poetry seems to have moved up in the in the in the in the sort of the on the bookshelf a little bit because people want to find some yeah. kind of solace or answer or something. So it's interesting how you know the period and time we're in kind of 
lifts up a certain genre of, of reading. Do you think that's true? It really does. Yeah. I, I certainly notice, you know, in, in just the, the stacks of books that publishers send me, it's kind of easy to notice trends for various publishing years. Right. So um, when the pre-pandemic, there was a, like a, a great run of, of really big history and biographies that had come out. I remember in, in 2019 and then um, 2020 was goofy. It had so many books that were uh, pushed back or delayed. I myself had actually written a, uh, a cocktail book that was themed for uh, cocktails for gatherings. And that mm-hmm. was pushed back, right? Like, oh gosh, in the middle of a, a pandemic, that's just like the, the worst thing to publish, right? Thanks. Publishers kind of had to react. Yeah, yeah they kind of yeah. had to react to the moment in a, a strange way. Um, and then, of, of course, like in the midst of Black Lives Matter, there was... Um, this sort of new focus on black authors and minority authors and, and women authors, which is great. Uh, and, and then now I'm, I'm sort of seeing um, not necessarily like a, a focus, but a little bit of a rise in uh, what I've seen called uplit. I don't know if you've heard of that mm. kind of subgenre at all, but it's, it's functionally instead of just like bleak stories and unlikable characters, like actually making room for, for characters who are likable and stories that have nice endings, right? There's like so much chaos in the world that people just want to kind of, like you said, with poetry, right? They kind of want to feel some purpose. They want a story that actually has a happy ending because there are so many unhappy endings out there. Um, So yeah, it, it certainly changes, right? Which is also, I mean, part of why I kind of like not focusing in on one niche with my newsletter. If I cover all of it, it'll all eventually, you know, come around again when it comes to popular genres or for those that have sort of fallen out of favor. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just just like like history itself, right, the, the genres that are popular go go in and out year by what, year for sure. Yeah, what do you what do you? what are you liking right now? What is it that you're that you're finding appealing right now in the in the book world? Sure. So I, um, between 2016 and 2020, I had this big project of reading a biography of every president. So after Trump was elected, I had this like big intellectual question of like, how did the the presidency get to here? Right. Um, and so you can see this, this whole section of books is all just presidential biographies. Um, spent, yeah, a a number of years doing that. And they're, I mean, you know, thick, often boring books, especially when you get to those, uh, especially the 19th century guys outside of Lincoln, the 19th century was kind of rough for interesting presidents. (laughs) Well, Grant Um, must've been, Grant must've been interesting. Grant was good. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, there's a lot of dry reading in there. Um, and so kind of, I, I assume just kind of knowing myself, as kind of a counter to that, I've been uh, really into Stephen King and kind of trying to explore fantasy and, and sci-fi a little more. Yeah. Um, so I, I started uh, just, oh, in the fall, um, kind of a, this lengthy project of going through all of Stephen King's books in chronological order. So started with Carrie um, and I just finished up The Stand a few weeks ago and um, I have The Long Walk, which is a Richard Bachman title of his up next. Uh, so that's kind of fun. I'm doing like one of those a month. Um, but I'm, yeah, really, really enjoying exploring like alternate worlds, alternate universes, things to like take me fully out of 
this particular world we're inhabiting uh, yeah. and kind of bringing me fully elsewhere has been really fun for me. So, you know, I, I, this is probably a loaded question to ask somebody who reviews books, but, you know, there have been sure. moments in history over the last couple of decades where, you know, you hear authors say this and reviewers say that the, the, the novel's dead. The novel's dead. Yeah. Nobody reads yeah. anymore. Novel's dead. What, yeah. What's your take on that? You know, it's it's tricky. If you look at like raw sales numbers and like last year, um, Barnes and Noble had an up year. Bookstore sales were up. Some of that is pandemic related, right? People were yeah. uh, cooped up inside reading more books. Um, and I think what's interesting is that so many people buy books more as artifacts than as things to actually be read. Um, I know, mm. I mean, you know, my own shelves, half of those books are unread and I'm, <laughs> I'm hopeful that I'll, I'll get there someday. Right. But you never know. I got a couple, uh, um, I got a couple behind me that, you know, that I've said, Oh, there's a classic I need to have. And never, in yes. fact, I, I wrote a blog post not too long ago about Ulysses saying, seriously, did you really read it? Or is it just on your shelf? You know? <laughs> and, and I think that's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there's certainly some of that. Um, but I mean, I, I think to declare, you know, books, the idea of reading dead uh, is always going to be false, is always going to be premature. People have been reading forever, right? The way that yeah. the way that they read might change. Um, well, it is. I mean, never, Substack's a perfect right. example of that, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, there, there might be a change in the economics of it or in, in the ways people are consuming their books or what they're reading. Um, yeah, I, I would never, I mean, just for my own, you know, like joy of reading, I, I would never declare that the books are dead yeah. or that reading yeah. is dead or that, that the novel is dead. Um, and really, you know, part of my own hope with the newsletter too, is to like, you know, Hey, get people to read more and to experience the joys of reading uh, in the midst of this online world that we're living in where, you know, attention spans are lower than ever. And I think, uh, authors will have to, you know, adjust at times what they're doing um, to meet the moment, but they've been doing that forever, right? So yeah. uh, look at a guy like like Dickens, who was always uh, writing serially and was often paid per word. So he was, you know, inflating his books for what the audience wanted. And um, it's always this balance, right, between art and storytelling, yeah. and then kind of catering to the moment and to the audience. And so as our world becomes even more digital, I think authors will just have to experiment um, and and see what works. And sub, yeah, Substack is certainly part of that. I've seen more and more um, novelists, especially folks pushing out fiction onto Substack, and especially like comics is a really cool um, look at at how to use the online world and use reading on your phone. Um, so I, I think authors will will rise to the occasion as long as they uh, experiment for sure. Yeah, and I, I, you know, I to go back to the original question about is the novel dead, I or you know, yeah. reading dead or whatever. Yeah. Just at the time when everybody says, "Oh, they want short, they want short," or they're going to read online, or they just read little bits, we get yeah. this six-volume Carl Kanasgard of uh, Carl Kanasgard autofiction, yeah. six volumes, like you know, what is it, three million words, whatever the thing is, it's just crazy. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. that doesn't even compute. That doesn't match to what people are saying. And, right. then, and then you get this phenomenon that is a completely the opposite. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think there, there comes a point where, you know, you get a, a good enough story, good enough writing, people will read it or even, you know, so much of uh, what, what people think they want or what people think they can handle is just not necessarily the, the reality, right? There's a, that famous um, Steve Jobs quote just about the iPhone or, or about the iPad or something and, and folks saying, well, people aren't, aren't ready for it or people don't want it. And he just says, well, they'll, they'll want it when they see it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So you kind of have to just make what you're making and and put it out there. Um, You know, Stephen King, I just finished up, like I said, the stand, this is what 1300 pages. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And you would think, you know, like, Oh gosh, is this even readable in, in 2022? Right. But he writes with, you know, short readable sections. There's a variety of, um, chapters that are kind of dialogue heavy versus prose heavy. He gets into a mix of genres in this book. And so I think even if, if something is long, there are ways to make it readable and enjoyable. And there are ways to get it uh, into the, into, into pop culture, into people's hands uh, in unexpected ways. I think sometimes that's definitely going to happen. Yeah. I think we're seeing that um, um, in, in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, who would have thought that, you know, when, when the term that radio was dead, but then suddenly podcasting comes along, which is basically the same medium in yeah, a lot of ways, right? Audio right. and it's gigantic. Yeah, so we're absolutely. in the golden age of audio right now. I mean, yeah. And even, um, you know, I've, I've talked to some publishers just about how audio is, is easily the fastest growing division for their, their publishing houses. Um and how even uh, some authors are going audio first, where you're seeing um, someone launch a podcast that'll then turn into a book. Um, I know Malcolm Gladwell has done that with a couple different subjects where he had um, a podcast about World War II and some of the bombing strategies that then uh, ended up becoming a, a written book called The Bomber Mafia. Um, and so, yeah, audio first is a really interesting turn, I think. Um, serialized novels you know like like you're doing and how what others are doing is a really mm. interesting path forward um so yeah it's kind of the the same mediums and it's just kind of trying to figure out how mm. to package them and, and get them into people's pockets really right um so yeah, yeah for of- me for me this online writing you know serialized novels is an experiment I, i've l- talked to people about it and i'm just like well i've got this novel that i haven't pushed anywhere else yeah you know, like this i'm just gonna throw it out there and see what happens so we're and i'm trying to figure out how this works, you know, it's kind of cool. It's kind of yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there are other, um, you know, serial novelists who I've, I've spoken with who are also just trying to figure it out because it's so new, right? So there's the question right. of what do you do when it's all been published? Then do you package it in a volume or, um, you know, do you do audio versions of it through any various number of platforms? Um, you know, what do you do with, with paying readers who are maybe paying, you know, on average, probably five bucks a month, of course, at the end of the novel will have, have paid more than you're usually paying for a, a paper yeah. version. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's tricky, right? You kind of have to figure out like, are people paying for the art itself or are they paying 
to support like art in general, right? Are they paying to just kind of show their support for you, for the medium um, versus putting that price tag on like the, the actual words of the story, right? Right. Um, it's definitely, yeah, kind of a, an interesting experiment that a lot of people are, are going through right now. I know there's one gal named Elle Griffin. Yeah, um, yeah, I've spoken with Elle. Yeah, so I've, I've interviewed her as well for my newsletter. Um, and she's doing an, an interesting thing where she has actually discovered um, so she used to have her newsletter where, uh, the paid version was for her novel. The free version was for her kind of, uh, musings on creativity, writing in the online space, et cetera. And now she's moved, she's switching that in the year to come to where she's actually going to make her novel, her fiction free, and she's going to charge for the, the writing, the creativity, the online businessy stuff. Mm-hmm. She has found that people are more willing to pay for new and fresh information than they are willing to pay for the art itself. Um, and so she's kind of seeing it the, the other way around where she's going to build her career on kind of the, the journalistic piece. And then she'll use her novel just as her own, you know, her own escape, the way to, to still be an artist, um, but not necessarily make money directly from that. Uh, mm-hmm. I think her story yeah, is, is really interesting and she's done some, some cool experimenting. Well, I think what's interesting about that too is she wouldn't have been able to figure that out unless she actually did it. And, right. Yeah. And made the adjustment, yeah. right? It's like you have to jump yeah, yeah. in there and, and do it. For sure. So, yeah. So, she gave it the time and the consistency to be able to do that. Yeah. You have to do that. So, with your site, two things how does a reader get involved and how does a writer get involved? So, let's talk about that for me. Yeah, good question. So readers can just go to uh, readmorebooks.co or readmorebooks.substack.com. It's the the same address. We'll get you there uh, and sign up for my newsletter. So the the free version goes out every Friday. Um, I do two generally two book reviews each Friday, and then the the paid version gets you a couple more emails per week, and that'll be kind of a variety of uh, lists of links, author interviews random list that I do. So this week I did like a, a Russian reading list that compiled um, the, the various books I've read and reviewed kind of about Russia and Eastern Europe. Um, so that's kind of how, how readers can get involved. And then for um, writers and on the, the promotional side, um, you know, I'm, I'm open to small time, big time authors, whatever it is, uh, just writing me kind of like you did, right. And saying, Hey, you know, would you be interested in checking out my book, right. uh, how can how can we work together? Whatever. Um, I'm always open to that. My email is jeremy.anderberg at gmail.com. Um, you can also find that on the site, readmorebooks.co. Uh, and I, I love chatting with authors. I love chatting about writing. So I'm, I'm always open uh, to discussing that stuff with, with authors, uh, whether you've published or, or not. Um, and I always love talking about, yeah, experimenting the future of publishing all that good stuff. So, yeah. Well, I, I love, I love what you're doing. Um, I love the platform, but I also, you know, love what you're doing. I mean, there, some of it's works on the platform, some of it doesn't. Yours seems to be working very well. Thanks for being with us, Jeremy. I appreciate it. Thanks, David. Really appreciate it. So Jeremy's site, read more books can be found on substack.com. This has been episode 31 of The Writer's Shed. I'm David W. Werner. Our music is from IRA Music. Production and interviews, as always, produced right here in The Shed. You can find out more about Writer's Shed Press at writershedpress.com, at The Writer's Shed on Medium. You 
can also sign up for our newsletter there and find us on Twitter at Writershed Press. The Writershed is available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>